Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At participating McDonald's. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll, and it's Halloween week on Talk is Jericho. It's scary, and that means a return to the paranormal. But we're doing it a little bit differently. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll, like we always say, and we got rock and roll paranormal uh, today with the Beatles and Friday with the king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley. Lots of crazy ghost stories and supernatural occurrences uh, for both. But today we got fellow Beatle fanatic and Fab Three member Charlie Benanti from Anthrax uh, Returns. And Liverpool native and paranormal Beatles expert Kevin Eustace. Kevin's sharing the ghostly stories he's collected over the years involving the Beatles, including sightings of John Lennon's ghost, weird experiences in the famous Cavern Club in Liverpool, and other well-known Fab Four locations like Strawberry Field and Penny Lane, home of the Penny Lane Poltergeist. Kevin's also talking about the alleged Beatles curse, Lennon's UFO sighting during his lost weekend with May Pang, the ghost that George Harrison spotted walking around his mansion in the 70s, and the details about the infamous story where John Lennon sold his soul to the devil in exchange for fame and success for the Beatles. All right, let's go with Charlie and Kevin and the paranormal Beatles. I know what it's like to be dead right now on Talk is Jericho. Hey, Kevin. Can you hear me? I can hear you. This is Chris, and Charlie's on the line as well. Hey, man. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for doing this. So we're just going to jump right in. You know that Charlie and I are big Beatles fans. That's why yeah, Charlie wanted to, uh, to join in. So um, we're, always, we're always looking for new information about the Beatles. And obviously, we know all about the music, and they're re-releasing the albums. Uh, we're getting Abbey Road re-release, all the demos, all that great stuff. But then you contacted me. And said, uh, asked if, if I wanted to know about the paranormal stories about the Beatles. Something I've never yeah. thought about. I didn't know that there was paranormal Beatles stories. But uh, I called Charlie up, like you said, Beatles Bonanti, and he uh, he wants to hear them too. So I guess my number one question is, how did you stumble upon um, all of these stories about the Beatles and, and the, the strange experiences that they had? Well, it's an interesting one, Chris, really. I've been into uh, the paranormal for since I was a child. Like, well, not like a baby, because that's impossible. But, you know, like <laughs> from when I was like um, six years old, I had a ghost club. And I obviously live in Liverpool. So the first thing you do when you're into the paranormal is you try and find out stories about your area and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then I'm a huge music fan, big Beatles fan, fan of you two guys as well without marking out on your show. But um, thank you. So, yes. Yeah, so then you go and you look at, the stuff around you read about the Beatles then obviously because I'm interested in ghosts I then go and look for little stories and spooky stories about the Beatles and lo and behold there's quite a few a quick question for you um as a person who's from Liverpool and grows up in Liverpool you know I, I, I'm sure Charlie feels the same when I was a kid I was like wow I wish I lived in Liverpool and is, do you <laughs> is it cool to like the Beatles when you're from Liverpool or is it just kind of like oh enough about the f- Beatles already it's, it's a bit of both, really, if I'm being perfectly honest. I mean, I'm a fan, and it's literally, you'll find it's like, it's not necessarily 50-50. It's a high percentage of Liverpoolians who are very, or Scousers, as we're known, right. who are very passionate about the Beatles. And then there's a handful of people who are like, as you say, are just that, not asked in the slightest. Um, but those who are bothered, like myself, it's brilliant. You know, like I live in the city centre, and right now I look out my window, I can see the cavern, you know, I can see, well, I can see the street where it's on, should I say. And you're surrounded by the venues that they played. There's a few, 
basically every street in Liverpool city centre, there's a pub on it where they've played. So there's a load of history there and you can do like walking tours and all that carry on. So I'm personally a big fan of it, but I do get the people who say like, oh, enough. Have we done nothing else as a city? But I'm made up that we've done it. <laughs> I remember the first time I played in Liverpool, I wore a Beatles shirt on stage with a Fozzie gig and some people yeah. were like booing. I'm like, geez, tough crowd, tough crowd. Amazing. Yeah, I'm sure you've played Liverpool a bunch of times, Charlie. Yeah, back in the day, we uh, I remember the first time going to Liverpool. It was uh, um, one of those things where, am I really <laughs> yeah. here right now? You know, <laughs> And um, I'll never forget this. The second time we rolled through Liverpool, we got uh, our bus got broken into and they stole a bunch of our stuff. Oh. And it was uh, it left us with a bad taste in our mouth. But um, uh, you know what? It's, it's sad that Charlie, I'm starting to wear that because we do have a reputation for that. And unfortunately, now and again, um, something like that happens. But I'm really sorry to wear that, mate. Sorry about that. On behalf of Liverpool, I apologize. <laughs> we uh, had oh, op- 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 finally, op- I got a, I got an <laughs> <laughs> We had a band called uh, a local band. They actually did a little bit in England. They were called uh, the Jokers, and then they changed yeah. their name to 19th Century, I believe. And they got oh. their uh, bus bro- or van broken into. And I remember it, it sucked because the bass player had a flying V bass. So oh, wow. you don't see it every day. And his got broken no. into and stolen. They're actually from Liverpool. So, uh, yeah, uh, lots of uh, uh, breaking and entering going on in that city. Yeah, there is. I mean, there's a good little culture. There's a, it's, a, it's a hub for musicians as well. So when that does something like that does happen, generally, every musician's on Facebook sharing it or on oh, Twitter gotcha. saying, if you see this. So a lot of the stuff comes back because... You know, it's obviously it's a hated reputation that goes with the city. And it's unfortunate that it happens generally when people who are from outside of the city come in. Um, I've never experienced it, but, you know, it's probably because I'm the one doing it. I'm not. I'm not. I don't have any <laughs> You've got a great flying V base hanging in your, uh, your house right now. <laughs> it's sat on my lap as, as we're talking. Now I'm just jamming it. Hey, Charlie, did you go do the Penny Lane and Strawberry Field and all that stuff? I did. Um, I did that, like, many, many moons ago. Yeah. And, um it's like for me it was it was special but i feel like nowadays it's it's a different experience because i think people are now uh they go there specifically for that because i think it's become such common knowledge now because of the Mm. internet it's like oh that exists oh i didn't know that you know right um so i think it's something nowadays where it's a it's a different experience so, yeah, I mean, even the first time I went to Abbey Road, I mean, of course, that in itself is one of those things where you have to do the walk, you know? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, you got to walk across. Uh, and, like, I've been there, like, maybe three or four times, and I only did the pictures twice. Uh, the other the other times I did it, it was early in the morning, and it wasn't so much traffic, but then the other times I was there, it was just ridiculous. You could not walk across yeah. there. It's not that, as, yeah, it's insane. It's not as big as you think either. Like it, uh, when you see the album, and like you think it's this big long crosswalk, but it's basically a very small crosswalk. And there's cars zipping by. There's dudes that probably work every day that have to drive past Abbey Road that are so sick of all the freaking tourists trying oh, to walk across God. the street. <laughs> I've never even thought about that. Right. Um, the one, the one thing I did think about the first time I went, I was like, where's that Volkswagen Beetle? I need that in the, in the shot. 28. <laughs> if 28. If. <laughs> um, yeah, they, they well, should do a fake one up there. Actually. I think, you know, they should do like a replica set so that everyone can have a chance because I know I've been up there and the traffic just doesn't want to stop. It's insane. Right. Exactly. It's, funny uh one last little note about about liverpool was there was the pair of brothers i think paul was one of the guy's names and simon paul and simon and their dad uh still lived in liverpool so we went to because he said listen you guys want to do the beatles tour go do it and then when you're done come over to our house and i went to his house and uh, we went over and uh, met Johnny Hutch. Remember I showed you that picture, Charlie, of the, mm-hmm. the, yep. the drummer in between Ringo and Pete Best? Oh, yes. wow. And then we went to their house, and he goes, sit on that couch right there. I said, okay, give me your phone. He takes a picture with my phone of me sitting on this couch in their house. Then he pulls out an old picture from, like, old Kodak picture of John Lennon wearing blue jeans and a jean jacket sitting in wow. the exact same couch. It oh, was, that's cool. Yeah, it was really, I was like, he goes, this is the real Liverpool experience. John used to hang out here because he was friends with my dad. 
And I was like, holy shit. I felt like so like weird sitting. John Lennon was sitting right on this couch, maybe even feeling the ghost of John Lennon, if you will, That's Kevin. That's brilliant. Which brings that us is to brilliant. <laughs> the perfect segue to when you started <laughs> researching uh, some of the Paranormal Beatles stories, what, what, what were some of the things, what did you find out about? Well, the first thing that you generally tend to get up when you start looking at this is, um, is Ghost of John himself, really. Um, so there's quite a few things that go around with John. So I know that, like, for example, three years after he died, when he was shot, obviously, at the Dakota building, um, there was two guys who walked past one evening, a Joey Harrow, who was a musician, and an Amanda Moore, and she's a writer. Um, and one evening, they're walking past the Dakota and they both clearly see John Lennon stood in the doorway of the Dakota. And now he described it as surrounded by an eerie light, whatever you, an eerie light is. Mm. Um, now, Amanda said she wanted to go up to him to talk to him. But something in the way that he looked at her made her think, no, he doesn't want to be talked to. I mean, it's probably being shot a few times. It'll do it to you. But, right. um, so that was, that was um, one within the Dakota. Then Yoko has uh, apparently said that she walked into the, to the room where the white piano is in the Dakota and John was sat at the piano, obviously, after his death. And he turned around and looked at her and said, don't be afraid, I'm still with you. And then disappeared. Um, so it's it like little things like that, you know, and you've got to think, I know that apparently when, I'll go on to the UFO stuff later, but I know that when John seen his UFO, he wasn't with Yoko at the time. He was, it was his, during his lost weekend, as he called it. And um, when he told Yoko about the UFO, she apparently kicked off at him good style because uh, she wanted to see it himself, herself. But um, so there's two of John within the, the Dakota, but obviously McCartney himself and the Beatles have seen little experiences with the alleged spirit of John. So on the Freezer Bird sessions, I think in 95, um, McCartney's went on record and said there were a lot of strange goings on in the studios, like noises that shouldn't have been there, equipment doing all sorts of strange things. Now, if that's Paul McCartney saying that equipment's doing strange things in 95, you know, then you'd kind of take it on face value because he's clearly been around studio equipment all his life. Um, and, and he's not going to be taking the piss too and going, oh yeah, it's, exactly. it's the spirit of John Lennon. I think, I think those guys, especially coming from that time in the '60s when it was, you know, it was a very mystical, spiritual time, and obviously with all their experiences with the Maharishi and all that stuff, they would probably know if you're if it's something that's not uh, normal. They would take it probably a little bit more seriously than the rest of us would because they probably were almost trained to do that with all of yeah. these kind of mystical things that they were learning. Well, yeah, I mean, I was thinking about that earlier because it's like, you know, the, for some reason, the 60s and the occult, it's different than the occults viewed in the 80s and the 90s where it's all like, you know, I don't know, wear black, upside down crucifixes. In the 60s, it seems to be a lot more like, I'm going to do the Ouija board, pass me my best waistcoat, that sort of like gentlemanly, <laughs> gentleman occult sort of thing. Um which is good. Yeah, but in the 60s and the 70s, you had a, a different type of world. You had, you had a world that uh, was very fearful of religion. Right. And, oh, yeah. Uh, nowadays, you have so many atheists that um, a lot of things that were feared back then, or they, nobody cares about that nowadays. You know what I mean? That's yeah, a good so, you know, um, even talking about like when you guys started with Anthrax, I mean, I never listened to Slayer because I was scared of like the satanic imagery and, and and some people thought that that was cool. I came up kind of in a church environment. I was thinking, oh, you can't listen to that stuff. Like you'll be possessed by the devil. You know, yeah. if you listen to King Diamond, you're in big trouble <laughs> nowadays. Well, I mean, the same, I was going to say back when I was younger um, and I always tell this story about I went to my local record store, which is called Records and Stuff, and I got this um, iron-on T-shirt, a Black Sabbath iron-on T-shirt, mm -hmm. and it was the Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath cover, and it had the 666 right. on it and everything. I came home. My mom saw it. She told my sister, take him right back right now and take that shirt <laughs> right back. She would not let me have that shirt. Um, oh, yeah. I and, had the same uh, thing. I I am um, I do, I I done a gig in Liverpool once with a band I used to be in, and uh, I went and bought my own T-shirt, which was Rage Against the Machine. You won't do what you tell me, and uh, I wore it down to me nan's, me grandma's once, and my dad said, "Take that back immediately." And he took it back for me and got me an Oasis T-shirt. It was like <laughs> I'm not even into Oasis. What are you doing? 
I I uh, got sent home from school. Dig on this. I got sent home from school because uh, I went and saw the Scorpions and I bought a, a T-shirt from the show. It was the cover of Love at First Sting. Now, if you remember that cover, it's not even all that bad. Uh-huh. It's two people. Uh, he's giving her a tattoo. There's a bare leg. She's probably naked, but you can't see anything. And they said it's not appropriate for school. They sent me home, dude. I had to walk <laughs> home and take off my wow. scorpion shirt. <laughs> but, That's brilliant. But you're right, though. Like like Charlie's point is, is valid when, you know, Number of the Beast came out in 1982. That, that intro was super controversial and 666, Number of the Beast and all that stuff surrounding it. So it was much more taboo than it is now. So all of that stuff regarding the occult and Jimmy Page buying Aleister Crowley's mansion on the on the banks of yeah. Loch Ness and all this other stuff. So I can see them taking it a lot more seriously. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, and obviously, like going back to the, to the freezer bird stuff, um, we, we you know, as you say, they're taking it more seriously. They're a little bit more open minded. But um, there was a white peacock that was walking around the grounds there as well, and. They all became convinced, convinced that uh, it was the spirit of John, and was like, "That's a bit spooky, isn't it? Don't you think that's John?" And when Paul said he put the, he said he when he put his headphones on, he was convinced he could like hear John if he closed his eyes. He could hear the voice of John. So do you know at the end of Free as a Bird, they actually put, um, it's actually George Formby who's like a UK entertainer from the wartime. He's like a ukulele player. They put, he's got a catchphrase which has turned out nice again. And they put that at the end of the record, but played it backwards. And just by complete chance, when you play it, it sounds like it says made for John Lennon oh, at geez. the end. I don't know whether you heard that. <laughs> Have you heard that, Charlie? No, no, no. We're all going to go back and listen to Free as a Bird now. Check it out if we yeah, can hear it. Just listen to the right at the very end and uh, you'll hear it. It sounds like it says made for John Lennon, but it's actually this catchphrase. And they've done that because um, Lennon's mum was a big ukulele player and she showed him all the chords. So he learned how to play ukulele first, of course. And um, I know that George was a member of the George, uh, George Formby Appreciation Society as well. But talking about, you know, hearing Lennon in the headphones as well, you might have seen like an interview that McCartney done just when he brought out Flame and Pie um, a few decades back. And he was there's a song he's got called Well Tonight. And within that song, he's got the lyric, I go back so far, I'm in front of me. And he says he remembers when he wrote it down in the studio, he's like, I don't like that. That doesn't make any sense. He says, and he could, he heard John in his head saying, man, you need to keep that line. It makes perfect sense. He said, and even to this day, he kind of doesn't, it doesn't um, correlate to him, but he knows that John likes it. So it's mm-hmm. that weird sort of, although he doesn't claim it's a psychic thing or it's a spiritual thing, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for you making, creating the image of a person and them having then their own life, if you like. Yeah, I mean, once again, you're talking about two guys that are connected by far more than just being friends. I mean, mm. this is their relationship changed the world. And whether you believe in the afterlife or, or, or ghosts or spiritualism or whatever, you know there's a bond between those two that transcends most bonds just by the energy that they put out into the universe. You know what I mean? Definitely. Well, I mean, if, if you think about things like the, the paranormal, what the Beatles had, and, and other people have it too within their band, they definitely, if there's a riff or something that started, you know, even John and Paul, there was this kind of paranormal thing between them that the other would make the next move on it. Yeah. They were so in sync. And I know that because it happens with me and Scott and, and yeah. my band. The Among the Living thing was something that happened uh, by chance. I had this idea, and he was already doing lyrics uh, mm. for the song, and it just happened to work out. And what, that, to me, is a very paranormal type of thing. What idea did I, you have, Charlie? Uh, I was thinking about the cover, the concept, and the idea of um, uh, this Stephen King story sure. that was in my head, and he was already on that. Wow, you know, already. <laughs> wow. So I didn't even know it at the time, and he didn't know at the time either that the cover I was thinking of was that. And boom, it just it just happened to work that way. Once again, like you said, that that goes that that's you guys are on the same wavelength. Uh, that goes a little bit beyond just normal friends. Like you said, there's a connection there, right? And that's what I think they had, yeah. uh, being the Beatles. Definitely, and yeah. there's a reason, you know, look, there's a reason for everything. There's a reason why someone named George Martin came into the Beatles' life and yeah. vice versa. You know what I mean? It wasn't just, oh, well, just happened to happen. You know what I mean? I, I believe that there was a reason. And um, 
look at the Beatles accomplished. Look what George Martin accomplished because of meeting. Yeah. 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 Completely. I was looking before. I mean, you know, I was, I was thinking like two years ago, if you looked at a picture of me, I look exactly like I do now. But if you look at a picture of the Beatles in 65 doing help and the likes, and then you look at a picture of them doing Pepper in 67, it's two completely different groups of people. It's, it's like they evolved. They lived a lifetime within right. seven years, eight years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the weirdest thing. That's the weirdest thing to me about the Beatles. And my friend Zach tells the best story about when he was younger, um, his mom got him two Beatle records. The first one was with the Beatles and the other one was Abbey Road. And he thought they were two different bands growing <laughs> up uh, because they looked so different. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. you're right. The, you know, the, the Beatles changed the world. And look at that eight year period from what they went through to what how they look so weathered mm-hmm. <laughs> at yeah. the end of the... At the end of their run, it is just crazy from mop tops to like kind of God cavemen. <laughs> and that's the thing. And they weren't even on the road. And Charlie will know when you're on the road, man, that can that can grizzle you pretty bad. But they were at home for three years. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I told Lars when that um, Hardwired uh, came out the Metallica record. I said, dude, you realize it's been longer between Metallica records than the entire Beatles career. Well, think about that. Yeah. They they took them like eight and a half years to do hardwired and the Beatles were done in about seven and a half or eight. Right. So that is insane. (laughs) Walmart plus members save on meeting up with friends, save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins, plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. So let's go back to to what you're talking about. Now, I know the story about the UFO. I had Shep Gordon on this show, and he kind of told me about Mm -hmm. it. I'd never heard of that before. Tell us about the whole UFO uh, encounter with John and what they did as a result. Yeah, well, so basically, um, it's August the 23rd, 74. It's around, well, it's in the evening, around 9 p.m., say. John's lying naked in the bed, apparently, and he's got an urge to go to the window. And he reckons he was in this poetic, dreamy state, which he said he was often in, which seems a bit of an ego trip, really. But anyway, he then says he goes to the window um, and he turns his head and hovering over the next building, no more than like 100 feet away, is this thing that's flashing on and off lights at the bottom, like a a typical UFO-looking object with one red light on the top. So he goes out onto the terrace. And as I said earlier, as you'll probably know, it was Jordan's lost weekend, so... He's not going. He's not with Yoko at the moment. He's with May Pang in a New York apartment. So he shouts for her to come out. So she comes out and she's naked as well because apparently it's the dumb thing. Um, <laughs> and the boat there, the boat stood there. And May apparently says that the object was around the size of a Learjet, and if she had something to throw, she could probably have hit it from where she was there. Um, and apparently John was waving his arms and saying, "Take me with you, take me with you," which uh, seems very John. <laughs> hmm. This has more, I don't know, but finish. (laughs) No, yeah, I was going to say, so apparently the, um, which seems rather a clever and rational thing to do, really. They went and got a camera and took uh, two reels full of film and photographs. And then they called up Bob Gruen, who was the photographer. uh, And when he tried to turn them, um, produce them, they came out blank. Um, So Bob said, you know, if you phone the papers, and apparently John said, I'm not going to call the newspapers and say, this is John Lennon. I've just seen a UFO. Mm-hmm. So um, Bob called around the papers and apparently other people confirmed the sightings and said, yeah. So um, a month later, on the he released walls and bridges and on the sleeve on the inside, you, you can see now if you get it, it's got um, on the 23rd of August, 74 at 9 p.m., I saw a UFO and it bore the initials JL. I mean, the last bit is obviously not true. Mm-hmm. Um and then he also, of course, he references it in Strange Days with the there's UFOs over New York and I Ain't Too Surprised line. Hmm. You know, um, hmm. I love that shit. And what also, too, what Shep told me is, do you remember when John and Yoko had shaved their head? Yeah. Apparently, yeah. they shaved, and I'd have to go back and listen to it, uh, what he said, but it's something along the lines of they shaved their head 
because they felt if they shaved their head, that would bring the UFO back to take them with them. <laughs> Something, Jesus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I wow. know it's, it's. I've never heard this story. I hadn't heard it either, uh, and I hadn't heard about the about the, the the sighting or the shaved head. Now, I'm, I don't know if you know who Shep Gordon is, Kevin, but he's uh, yeah, 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 obviously rock and roll legend, and he he had the story down down pat that they shaved their heads because they felt when when the UFOs came wow. back they would uh, respond to them better because they because the aliens have no hair or something ridiculous like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I normally just get a haircut if I'm going out or something, not like because exactly. of aliens. Exactly. Is that, is, that, is that where the shaved fish title comes from? Could oh, be. Maybe, yeah. Maybe. Good point. Maybe. Um, so w- once again, and, and when you hear that, because, you know, John's last weekend, obviously he was super loaded all the time, but still pretty, pretty darn cool. Um, and he actually drew a sketch of the UFO. Yeah. I'm just Googling it right now. Uh that uh, went went for an auction. He drew he, he drew a picture of what he saw. Yeah, there's also a little bit as well about um, apparently, and this is interesting because I don't. I mean, I, you've got to take all this with a bit of a pinch of salt. But um, there's definitely something to take with a massive spade full of salt, and that's uh, Yuri Geller. After John's death, then came out and said that um, John gave him some sort of artifact and said that the aliens would give this to him and that Yuri should keep it safe in case something happens to him. And it's like, come on, Yuri, this didn't happen. Wow. Wow. <laughs> well, con- continue on. Uh, what other stuff was happening around okay. that time frame? So um, I think an interesting one that I thought that would be good to speak about is uh, like the sign, kind of the signs and premonition sort of aspect of it. So I know that like, for example, or of Red, should I say, that his son Julian, um, he said to his son Julian that if anything ever happens to him, he'll let him know that he's okay by showing him a white feather. And Julian kind of forgot about this. And he went on tour in Australia and took part in some sort of Aboriginal celebration. And whilst he was out there, he was thinking about his dad and thinking his dad had liked this, you know. And halfway through, one of the elders from the, the Aboriginal tribe came up to him, walked purposefully up to him and gave him a large white feather and just put it in his hand and walked off as he was thinking about it. Which is um, which is a lovely story, and he, I think he started a, a charity off the back of it called the White Feather Foundation, really? uh, which is just based for peace. Wow. Well, once again, you're talking about uh, a guy who, you know, was taken too early, and and, and I believe yeah. that sort of stuff can happen. Come back and give his son a message. Oh yeah. I've had a few dreams in my life when somebody's died. My grandfather was one, and uh, a friend of mine was another. When they passed away, I had dreams about them coming back and saying, you know, I'm okay, and don't worry about it. And this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, it's so real that I don't believe it's just a dream. There's something else at yeah. work there, you know? Definitely. <laughs> the thing I heard about the the story about that white feather, um, but the, I heard about it, but I, I never knew when did John actually say this to his son? It's a good question. I don't have that information, if I'm being honest. I would have assumed that when he was, when he was a kid, because I know he was with Cynthia when he said it, because he's also said the same thing to her. And that was his first wife, of course. And she, I know that she found a jackdaw wrapped up in newspaper in, in a house they were staying in in Cumbria, in the Lake District, with a very specific date on which evades me. But uh, I know that he was with Cynthia at the time, so I can only imagine it was very early on. Oh, okay. So it must have been before he was a teenager. Oh, yeah. I'd imagine so, yeah. I would imagine so. Date-wise, uh, it works out, yeah. It, it's, a, it's a beautiful story. I mean, you know, I remember reading about this a while back, and uh, it's like, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, if anybody is has that in him, it would probably be Julian. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The most of his dad, you know what I mean? And, of course, Sean, but... Julian experienced Beatlemania when he was a little kid, right. you know, he lived through all that. And yeah. his, his dad was this guy who was like, you know, everywhere. How could you not look that? Oh, that, oh, that's my dad, you know? Yeah. Well, it's an interesting one as well, because on the, the sort of like premonition aspect of it, one story that I didn't know and I only found out when I was like looking through this is um, in 69, apparently around the time he'd already confided to Yoko that he was planning on leaving the Beatles, allegedly, um, they went on holiday to Athens. And when they were in Athens, um, they went to see a fortune teller and the fortune teller said to him, you will be shot on an island. And wow. apparently wow. the next 
Yeah. The next day, they were due to... There's a UK folk singer at the time called Donovan. Uh, yeah. You might know of him, yeah. Pretty he, um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Exactly. So um, they were going to use his yacht to go around the Greek islands. But because of this, they cancelled it, assuming that he'd be shot on a Greek island, and they just went home. Um, but then, obviously, several years on. You know, you always hear stories like this, and the one thing that jumps out to me is, like, was Donovan that rich that he had a yacht? It's <laughs> <laughs> a very good point, yeah. You, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, I I was in Greece, and, you know, I called up Rob Zombie, and I'm like, hey, could I use your yacht for a minute, you know? <laughs> you know but anyway... No, it's a good great. one. It is. I know, but interestingly, and I don't know whether it's anything. To, I know that I won't go into it in this one, obviously, but we all know that there's meant to be the number nine that follows John around. So that's oh, 69. Course. That's that's in the six, uh, year 1969. And that same year, 69, the BBC uh, followed John and Yoko around for five full days and done this behind the scenes documentary. Um, and you can watch this little clip online, but there's one scene where John's reading fan mail on the bed. And he opens this letter, which I've, I've made a copy. I've made a copy of, but I've wrote down what it said. And you can see him online actually reading a letter. And the letter reads, "Dear Mr. Lennon, from information I've received when using a Ouija board, I believe there will be an attempt on your life to assassinate you. The spirit who gave me this information was Brian Epstein." And you can see John Lennon Ooh. reading that out and like laughing Ooh. at it. Terrifying. That's that's weird. I mean, you're you're, you're telling all these. Uh, amazing stories and everything and the one thing that i'm waiting for you to tell is the paul is dead thing <laughs> i know yeah and you know what strangely enough i'm not gonna because i thought that's being overdone you know oh, okay yeah. well because Sorry it's something about that, that is, it, it, no it's something that is uh, we all remember this whole thing and i think it, it originated from a radio station right yeah Working from all yeah of- i think so and wasn't there some sort uh, of rumor that he'd been replaced as well by Billy Shears? Yeah. I actually did a whole podcast about that with a guy called, um, I can't remember what his name is. And, and he, he he was an expert in rock and roll paranormal stories. And act, act, actually about two weeks after we did the the podcast, he actually passed away. And it was just oh my like, God. yeah, it was really like add to the extra creepiness of it. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, I mean the the Paul is dead thing. That you could you could do a whole podcast on that. All the clues that were around and and you know all that sort of thing. Bottom line is he's probably not dead. I <laughs> think he's still alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a it's a good thing to read through all that though. And I did listen to that show, and it's all about he's, he's barefoot on Abbey Road and all that carry on, isn't it? It's, right. Yeah. Actually, his name is Gary Patterson. So uh, shout out to the late great Gary Patterson. But uh, let's. let's Charlie, go ahead. I was, no, I was going to say there's uh, this. Yeah, there's so much surrounding that rumor and that story, which there's so much surrounding the Brian Jones story too. Sure, you know? that was um, a, a big, a big conspiracy where people thought that he was murdered and drowned yeah, underwater yeah, yeah. as well. You know, that's and then I think there's been some ghostly sightings of Brian Jones as well. And why wouldn't there be? You know, he was kind of right. he started the stones, didn't he? Yeah. You know, that's amazing. Yeah, that's a good read. Let's talk a little bit about uh, about the yeah, you mentioned an ap- apartment that Ringo and Cynthia were talking about that he had uh, rented while he was filming How I Won the War. Oh, yeah. It's a really cool story. I like this because of the, the things that it's got in. So it, basically in, in 1966, he went to Almeria in Spain because um, he was going to play the part of Private Gripweed in How I Won the War. Um, now, they stayed there for six weeks in like a very old 13-bedroom villa on the outskirts of the town. Um, now, interestingly, that's where he actually wrote Strawberry Fields as well um, while he was there on an acoustic. And if you listen on one of the, I don't know which version it is or which album it is, but I think it's on one of the anthologies you can actually hear him finger picking it and singing along and then he stops and says i can't do it i can't do it and then he starts strumming it because it was kind of too hard for him to play and sing um which is really cool but um i think that that is on the anthology I yeah it is yeah i think it is so he went with um cynthia and she's went on record to say the place was definitely haunted um and ringo went there too and he said um he was quoted as saying he was convinced beyond all doubt that the villa had many beautiful spirits um but he's also spoken of an occasion where the lights all went out whilst they were there one evening and the power stopped working um but instead of running out and screaming like i would for one mm-hmm. uh, john lit candles around and got his guitar out and everybody sung to the ghosts 
which is just a, a nice, lovely hippie '60s story, isn't it? <laughs> totally right. <laughs> That's brilliant. I love that. It was another. The interesting thing from that as well, like non-paranormal, is apparently his character in the film wore these wire-rimmed circle glasses, uh, but he used right. to wear contacts. And then, because he kept losing the glasses, he decided to just wear them all the time. And then that's the now iconic pair of glasses we associate with him. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. I man. remember they, they talk about that because that's right before the pepper look. And yeah. um, George Martin says John came into the studio with these glasses and he, he looked like a older man, you know, mm. uh, with the glasses on. And then the glasses just stuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you said, wore them pretty much to the end of his life as a result. Yeah. Yeah. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. How about, how about George? I mean, George seems like the most spiritual of the Beatles. And, and even when you watch Living in the Material World, the, the documentary by Martin Scorsese, yeah. you can just talk to him. And I love the one line where it's like, you know, you know, what do you want to live for? And he's sitting there kind of starts laughing like, well, I got a son, so I want to live as long <laughs> as I can for him. But other than that, no reason. I'm ready to go to the next plane. Was there ever any stories about George and kind of some, some yeah, yeah. stuff? Well, in the 70s, because um, as you say, it's an interesting one because when you look online for stuff in this sort of realm with to do with the Beatles, George is actually one of the – the most scant. There's not much you can find on George in the paranormal. Hmm. But he did buy, he went to try and look at a huge house to buy or some property to buy. And in the 70s, he bought Friar Park in uh, Henley, which is like a 120-room mansion. Now, it's a mansion like Downtown Abbey. It's ridiculous. It's huge. If you Google it and look at it, it's brilliant. It's just mind-blowing. And it was designed by Sir Frank Crisp in, in 1890. And he basically liked the finer things in life. So he wanted like replica statues of Grecian statues and Roman statues and all this. Um, but he built it with like under, an underground cave system and all. everything was really top spec in there. Um, now, one evening, apparently, according to uh, his biography, uh, Terry Doran, who was his assistant, he burst in and said that he'd just seen a ghost. Well, he actually said he'd just seen a goes he said but you know he that was bleeped out he said he was in it and it, it's funny when you can refer to like this next line because i was thinking how big is your house apparently he was in one of the wings of the house <laughs> in the minstrel gallery and he came across a man looking out of the window and tony apparently asked who he was and he turned looked at him and then disappeared so that led to him then running into the kitchen and saying i've just seen an effing ghost <laughs> um now a few days later george himself was walking around the grounds with his arms behind his back just having a little stroll to look around and in the distance he's seen a man doing the exact same thing and apparently tried to catch up with him and every time he tried to catch up with him he'd still be the same distance away and then this guy, as he turns a corner, just disappeared as well. So he kind of backed up Tony's story and said, uh, Terry's story even, and said that he believes that that was Sir Frank Crisp as well. So I'm, I'm curious as to this story because I was in one of George's houses, one of the big ones, and this is where yeah. the cover for All Things Must Pass uh, uh, was Oh, you was were there, shot. Charlie? You went there? And. In, in 96, uh, we did this TV show and they were using George's house, which he had donated to the Hare Krishnas. And they had the first floor of this house. And I have pictures in the house, too. So I'm wondering if this was the same house, because if it was, this place was huge. It was like a castle on yeah. like acres and acres um, yeah, this this it's a ridiculously big house. I say house, it's not a house. It looks like a hotel complex. It's massive. Mm, okay. Just the place where a ghost might live, right? Yeah, where 43 ghosts could live and never meet each other. It's that big. <laughs> I love that too. They, they help. You know you got a big house when they give it a name. When it's got yeah. some, like <laughs> Twickenham. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about, about some of the famous uh, uh, areas 
associated with the Beatles and some of the some of the stuff that goes on there. I know you mentioned there was some things at Penny Lane and some things at Strawberry Field and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, so um, so Penny Lane to jump in there. It's uh, it's a really interesting one actually. So Penny Lane, uh, people assume because where I work, I run into a lot of uh, tourists, and a lot of them assume Penny Lane doesn't exist. You know, mm-hmm. when you you talk to them, but it's a fully functional street. It's just a normal street, and there is in the centre of the roundabout where he said there's a bus stop. That is kind of still a bus stop, but there's a cafe there as well now. Yeah, so it still all exists, but. Um, there was a thing, or there is a thing there, known as the Penny Lane Poltergeist, and it goes all the way back to the 1890s. Uh, now, apparently, way back before that, a weird thing happened which kick-started it all off. This is when it was just like a few cottages and the things like that. Um, and people seeing like a white sphere with a blue aura hovering above a little cottage in a nearby street, which lifted up above the house and slowly moved over towards Penny Lane and came down behind some trees into Penny Lane. Now, that week, it was reported that loads of weird stuff took um, took place. So apparently horse-drawn carriages refused to go up Penny Lane. Um, it was apparently getting night, um, sending dark, quicker of an evening. It had its own little microclimate in Penny Lane. And a lot of people assumed there was a witch um, that, that was going around at the time. Now, apparently that all died down, and then all the activities centered around number 44, and tenants reported things being thrown around, bangs, general poltergeist activity. And they couldn't keep a sitting tenant in there because everyone was in for a week and then, like, I'm not staying there. Mm. Um, later on in, like, the early 1900s, um, that was it started to die down. And then during World War II, uh, it completely stopped. But I genuinely think that that's because they have bigger issues, like, you know, getting bombs dropped on your house. Right. <laughs> so um, <laughs> you probably weren't bothered about that. So it actually got partially damaged in the war, the, um, the house. And then it died down again till like, 55. And in 1955, a woman looked up and seen a young girl, uh, blonde hair, brushing her hair slowly in the top window. And she knocked. And because she knew the guy who lived there and he knew that she knew that he didn't have anyone that fits that description. And he was like, no, I mean, here alone. There's nobody in here except me. So the next day she was walking down the street and there was a gang of people outside the butchers all looking up towards this bedroom. And when she walks over, the girl's there again, brushing her hair. And just as they all go to cross the street to get a closer look, she vanishes again. So that was that up until the 70s. And then in the 70s, the house became a printer's. And neighbours started to complain to the council that the machines were being used overnight and that there was loads of bangs and stuff. But the guy each morning would turn up and say, listen, we don't have it open overnight, so I don't know what the noises are. And when he'd go in, everything would be turfed onto the floor. So that house, there's been nothing reported in recent years, but that house is still there. And every time I go past it, I think I'm going to go and knock. Right. To come in and like bring an EVP meter with me or something. <laughs> yeah, do it. Yeah, once again, I mean, just the fact that it happens on Penny Lane, which is probably one of the most uh, famous streets in the world, specifically oh, because be. of that song. And um, when uh, you go to Liverpool, you got to go see the Penny Lane street sign, right? Yeah, of course. I think it's the most vandalized sign in the world. Same as Strawberry Fields, you know, people writing I was here and things like that. Exactly. Abbey Road, Abbey Road too is pretty vandalized. Oh, I can imagine Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. So let's continue on with, with Strawberry Field, Kevin, and then the, the, the okay. incidents there. Okay, so yeah, Strawberry Fields is actually, well, it's actually Strawberry Field. Right. Um, it's not a plural. John added the S later on for the song. Um, but the, the, it's a huge Gothic mansion, or it was, should I say. And it was built around the 1800s. It was first owned as like a house to live in by a shipping magnate um, called George Warren. And he then sold it later on to the Salvation Army to be used as an orphanage in like 1934. His family sold it on, I think. Um, But by 73, it had gone into such disrepair that it was cheaper to just get rid of it and build a new building. But during demolition, 
little things started to happen, like tools would go missing from the builders. Um, and by winter, it, when it starts to get dark early, uh, they could hear like footsteps going around and they all experienced like what they call corner of the eye phenomena where they just see something move and start running away and they'd hear like laughter of children. So they ended up refusing to work at night or past when it got dark. So that's one story from there. And then other, other than that, in the late 80s, a woman was uh, from the local area was walking a dog in the fields there. And she walked past uh, this man and an elderly woman who didn't speak, but she seemed she thought that they were familiar. And they both kind of smiled. And the guy leant down to the dog and gave a little smile as in to say, oh, isn't he nice? And then they both walked off. And um, she stopped and turned around to think, who's that guy? I recognize him. Um, and as she turned around and looked, she was like, that's John Lennon. And then they both disappeared. And she actually thinks that it was John Lennon and his Aunt Mimi oh, because wow. her her house is literally just around the corner from Strawberry Fields on Menlo Avenue. Dude, that's so cool. Can you imagine? <laughs> now, I'll tell you what, though. What always used to make me laugh, my nan, uh, or my grandma, sorry, when when um, when she was alive, she, uh, she swears, or she would swear to this day that um, there's a street by where I used to live, which is nowhere near Menlo Avenue. But she reckons that when she was going to work one day waiting for the bus, that John and Yoko went past in a mini metro um, with the knees up to the window and were arguing, going past really slowly. She went and she couldn't stand them for some reason. So she was like, oh, they're a pair of gobshites then, as she would call people. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that was her sighting of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and once again, all of this stuff fits to me because the Beatles are very mystical, very whimsical. Like if anybody yeah. would be doing this, it would definitely, George, not so much. I can see George just like, nah, I'm not interested. I can see John. If you have the ability to walk the earth after you pass away, I can see John doing that because he would probably be very interested in the whole experience. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah. I mean, well, there's the stuff about like the allegedly he made a deal with the devil. I think he's probably the most chancing to be the most occulty out of all of them. Sure. As in an interest in the occult. And there's a, it's a, I, I do take this one with a big pinch of salt, but it's allegedly it, there's a rumor that he made a deal with the devil for the fame of fortune. And the rumor goes that one night on a bridge in Liverpool, um, he met the devil when he was 20, one December night, and he sold his soul for 20 years of success. Mm. Um, now, allegedly, the next night at a gig in Litherland, which is just not too far from Liverpool, um, it's within Liverpool, really. Well, apparently, that was the first night that the crowd reacted in what we now call Beatlemania. Um, and when they all came backstage, they were all very much like, what the hell was that? And he just jokingly said, well, I've sold my soul to the devil. So... I don't know. I there's you know people try to point to evidence if you like in inverted commas for it. So there's there's like you know he had uh, Alistair Crowley on the cover of Pepper and he did used to say the Beatles mantra is do what you want, which is basically do what thou will. Um, the Crowley and stuff. That's the, um, that's I, the crux of of, of sat Satanism. Yeah, it's a crux of, of Crowley's aspect of it. The whole um, do what thou wilt sort of thing and then there's the um, Yesterday and Today album which was I think it was only released in Japan but you'll have seen it it's where there's um, it looks like they've butchered a load of babies and they're sat on the Beatles knee and they haven't it's dolls and right. cuts of meat and they're all covered in blood but it's a very bizarre album choice as a especially cover especially for 1966 oh god yeah yeah I mean no wonder it was only put out in Japan because I don't think it would have flew too well, well it, was, over here. it was banned in the States yeah Really, was it? Oh yeah, yeah. There's actually you could. Uh, I think it's one of those things. If 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 they release like the first, I don't know, the first pressing of it of ten thousand records, let's say, and then yeah. they had to place the new cover on top of the original. So there's still ah. albums out there where you can peel off the cover no and see the real one behind it. Yeah, that's a famous uh, a famous collector's item that you can that's get. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, I did not know that. Yeah. Some, the, other, the other one that like kind of makes me think, I can understand why very religious people would assume that that's a sign. And um, it's, you know, the whole we're bigger than Jesus yes. thing that, that he said about the Beatles. Well, that's not the full quote. And I didn't know this. Um, but apparently the, the full quote is along the lines of Catholicism will fall and Christianity will fall. Sorry. Mark my words. I'll be proved right on this. And then he goes on to say, in fact, if anything, we're bigger than Jesus right now. Mm. So the only thing that people tend to remember is that the Beatles are bigger than Jesus. But the first line I can understand from people who are devoutly religious, why they'd be like, why would you say that? You know what I mean? He must be the devil. Mm. Wow. But um, 
I don't personally agree with it. I think, you know, I just think he was, I mean, let's remember, it's John Lennon. And we all know from any videos that you watch of John Lennon, he's only ever 40% serious, and especially in the early days at any time. Wow. Actually, I just Googled yesterday and today covers, uh, just as a sidebar, they printed approximately 750,000 copies. Then they're all mm. recalled. Uh, and they were shipped back to the record label. Uh, and that's where... Uh, so there's 750,000 of them out there and the cover photo. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, so you can still maybe get that uh, amazing, you know, um, and, and it was there. They they took the picture, which is the Beatles sitting in butcher smocks with, with body parts of dolls and meat around them. And McCartney uh, pushed very strongly for the photo's inclusion as the album cover and described it as our comment on the Vietnam War. <laughs> wow and george thought you, george thought the idea was gross and i thought it was stupid <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you actually had a copy of that chris would you peel it off or would you keep it as it is i would keep it as it is knowing that i had it because i think if i think it's one of those things like if you if you buy an action figure and keep it in the box yeah. it makes it even more valuable you know yeah but that, i actually want to try and see if i can find one of those that's that'll be my new, yeah it's uh, a really good shout yeah you, you've got to be careful though because you'll get a lot of dodgy ones where you'll be like i don't know because i'm never going to peel it it may not actually be it you <laughs> exactly. know i'm not going to try um let's talk about the cavern the famous club where the beatles first started there's some uh hauntings there yeah i mean there's the the big one that's that is when i say it goes around liverpool everybody in liverpool knows about the alleged um, devil being seen in the cavern, which um, apparently appeared in the ladies' toilets of all places um, during a game of cards that two guys were having in there. And the ladies' toilets uh, is the one place that people often say that they feel like they're touched or they're pushed or they feel uncomfortable. So if anyone goes to the cavern, go to the ladies' toilets if you're allowed and um, <laughs> and you may notice something. But interestingly, the cavern's actually on Matthew Street, as I'm sure you know. And it's Matthew with one T, and that's because it was named after this guy called Matthew Pluckington. Now, way, way back when Liverpool was one of the biggest ports in the UK, if not the biggest, he owned that street. And I think it was called Pluckington Alley at the time. And he built a lot of warehouses. He was like an agriculturist in the 1700s. And he built a big warehouse on the site where the cavern now is. But he was also a rumoured occultist. Now, in 1982, when the original cavern was being excavated, builders, when they went down to what would have been the basement, they found an old shaft that led from the basement, so underneath the basement, to a huge chamber underneath the cavern, so like a cavern under the cavern, if you like. Mm. Um, and that was filled with rainwater, and they managed to get a dinghy in there uh, <laughs> to investigate what it was, you know? Um, and apparently it was 120 feet long and 70 feet wide, there was no obvious way in except for that shaft. And from looking at the etchings on the walls, they knew that it was man-made and it appeared to be some sort of temple in structure. And it had never been found until 1982. And they can only assume it was there prior to the cavern being built, which would mean it's been built by this guy, maybe as a temple. Who knows? Wow. Uh, yeah, and the cavern is still there. Like you said, you can go uh, check that out for yourself. Um just one last thing on yesterday today. I've just looked thirty thousand dollars for a sealed first re, uh, first edition oh. cover. So if you got an extra thirty grand, um, yeah, I'll buy two. Yeah, I'll buy two in case one breaks. Buy two to share it with you. Um, <laughs> were the Beatles cursed? You think in some way, shape, or form? You, you mentioned some of those uh, thoughts. I don't necessarily think that they were cursed, but I would say that it's a really one of the most interesting things I've stumbled upon. I think is this whole are they cursed issue. And where it's kind of starts, if you like, is there is a one-bedroom flat, or there was a one-bedroom flat or apartment, if you will, in, in Curzon Place in Mayfair. Now, this the flat was designed by a company called ROR, which stood for Ringo and Robin. Now, this isn't completely Beatles-related, but you'll see where it ties in. Now, that Ringo and Robin was like a side project of Ringo himself. He wanted to do like a bit of a design company. So they designed this flat. It was a top, fo top floor flat in Mayfair, and it was by all the nightclubs, and, and it was by Apple Records, actually. So um, a certain person called Harry Nilsson liked that location, and he had a lot of money on him because um, he'd sung songs such as Without You, and he had obviously a load of, a load of other good hits. Yeah. So he, he actually bought this flat outright, but because he was away a lot, he'd let his friends use it. Now, one of those people was Mama Cass, who, after... Um, a party at Mick Jagger's, none, none other, 
Uh, on July the 29th, 74, she came back and died in a sleep age 32 within that flat. Mm. Now that you could say that's, that's kind of fine. But then four years on, Keith Moon, the drummer from The Who, obviously, um, he arrived home after a night out with none other than Sir Paul McCartney. Mm. And he died in the same bedroom after an accidental overdose, again, age 32. Now, Nilsson wow. then sold, yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Nilsson then sold that flat because he didn't want anything to do with it. Now, Nilsson himself, obviously, he had a bit of a troubled life. But there's an argument, is it to do with the flat or is it to do with that song with Without You? Because you obviously know the song, I can't live, living is without you, that song. Now, that song was written by two guys. Um, one's actually a scouser. Um, he goes by the name of Tom Evans. And there's another guy called Pete Ham. He's from Wales. They co-wrote that song. They were in a band called Badfinger, who McCartney signed to Apple Records in 68. And now they found fame because they actually covered, Paul McCartney wrote them a song, basically, Come and Get It, which you probably know. And that that took them worldwide fame, gave them worldwide fame, and let them tour and do a lot of work. Now, they then went on to write Without You, and their version of it didn't take off. It didn't do anything. But Nilsson was at a party and heard it and assumed it was a Beatles song. And when he found out it wasn't, he said that he wanted to do it. So as we know, Nilsson's version is the version, prior to Mariah Carey's anyway, that we all know. Now, the fact is that Nilsson himself, after doing that, after doing that version of the song, he then went a bit off the rails to the point where I was reading something earlier where he was that off his face with cocaine at one point that he was recording with Elton John and he opened his mouth to sing and he vomited blood because his throat had completely collapsed. Oh, wow. So he was that he was that insanely out of it. He didn't notice and just carried on doing what he was doing. Hmm. And that's that's got a quote from Elton John about that. So, you know, take it at face value. But so they done without you. Now, because of the money that they got, the money that he got from without you, he was able to go and buy this apartment. But the money that Evans and Ham got from without you, they were fine. They were doing well. But then Apple Records obviously then collapsed. And their guy, the, the guy who was um, looking after all of their finances, was a guy called Stan Polly. And he'd basically done them out of all of the money. Um, so much so that now skinned, Pete Ham decided to hang himself in his garage. Um, and on his suicide note, he actually put, uh, Stan Polly is a bastard and I'm taking him with me. He didn't because mm. the guy just disappeared. Um, so that's like two people's lives ruined by this song or by, you know, they were signed up to Apple Records. And then years on, his writing partner, Tom Evans, the guy who co-wrote the song, he got caught in another financial mess, again, over the royalties from Without You. And he hung himself in his garden, saying that he just can't go on anymore. So that's both writers of that song have committed suicide. Then you've got Nilsson, who's who's also covered the song. He ended up a mess. And then about within the, the 12 months after Mariah Carey recorded it, she was sectioned for mental health. So... It's just like a bit of a curse wow. on that particular song. Dude, that's crazy, man. What a It what really a, is. I'm still tripping over the fact that Mama Cass died in a flat at 32 after a night out with John, and then Keith Moon died at 32 in the same flat after a night out with Paul. Yeah, exactly. So r- moral of the story, if you go out with Ringo, don't live in that same <laughs> flat. <laughs> that's a very, wow. very good yeah. Well, I mean – as we start to wind down here, Kevin, I mean, so many great stories and, and it's very impressive that you know all this stuff. You're kind of the go-to guy when it comes to Beatles Paranormal. Well, see, the thing is, I never, never will claim to be an expert. And the reason for that is because I'm, I just like to collect the stories. So somebody will no doubt, even when they listen to this, be like, well, actually, you'll find it was a blue jump and not a red jump or right. something like that. And I, I, I don't take offense to that. It's like brilliant. If, it, if you're going to correct me, then correct me. And I just like picking stuff like this up. It just find it so interesting. I was saying to um, my partner before, she was like, the six-year-old, you must be going crazy right now because you've only ever had three interests in life, paranormal, music, and pro wrestling. So <laughs> you're about to talk with Chris Irvine, sorry, Chris Jericho, Charlie Bonante, and you're going to be discussing the Beatles ghosts. He said, you must be doing cartwheels. I said, 40-year-old me's doing cartwheels, never mind six-year-old me. Well, and, and, and 48-year-old me, once again, I grew up with anthrax, and I grew up with the Beatles, and I love ghosts and paranormal, so I get to you know talk to, to with you and Charlie at the same time So and hear all these great stories because, like I said, as time goes on, there's less and less information you can find out about the Beatles because, I mean, 
listen, their their career spans such a short time. And if you're a Beatle file like we all are, you know everything yeah. about them. So anytime you get a chance to hear some of these stories, like, you know, uh, my favorite story that you've told, I mean, there's been a lot of them, but was 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 George just walking through his mansion and seeing the ghost of, of, of you know, Crisp or uh, Frank. Yeah, Fred, Fred, yeah, Fred, yeah. Fred, just imagining George walking. Like, that's something really cool to me because – just while him walking through his 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 palatial mansion, you know, yeah, that, a good that's enough that gives you a little bit of extra info, you know. Uh, Charlie, what was your favorite uh, story that you heard? Probably my favorite story on this whole uh, conversation we had was the UFO story with John mm-hmm. and uh, actually Bob Gruen actually coming over there and uh, documenting it. I mean, that to me, I've never heard this story before. I don't know if it was john's lost weekend and he really got lost if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> and the aliens found him and maybe the aliens were huge beetle fans and they were trying to get him back together with paul <laughs> that could have been that could have been the catalyst otherworldly just... beings demand it or else they're <laughs> going to blow up the earth how about you kevin what's your favorite of all these stories um, as I say, I do like the cursed ones, but um, I, I, I'm a big fan of when McCartney's talking about feeling like he can communicate. Well, not communicate, but, you know, like he's got John in his head. I like that idea because yeah. I'm a big believer that, you know, when people die or pass on, it, if you like right now, I'm, I'm just sat in a room on myself talking to you, obviously, and to Charlie. But right now, for all I know, and it's very morbid, but someone I know could have died. But to me right now, they're not dead. So. I can still keep them in my brain if that makes any sense at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like they, they live on in your memory and they can actually, like in McCartney's case, when they're giving you advice to say keep lyrics in, it's like it, it brings up reality and what it is, but that's going into another whole mind span there. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, I think of all of all the bands that we've been obsessed with over the years and the Beatles are at the top of the list, they're the ones that I would think would be most attuned to having a lot of these experiences and coming back. Like you mentioned John walking through strawberry fields to pet somebody's dog. I mean, yeah, that's a pretty Lennon, <laughs> Lennon thing. To yeah, do. it really is. I'm surprised actually that she doesn't say he turned around and winked and then disappeared because, you know, exactly. Um, final question for you. What's your favorite Beatles song today? Uh, and you know what? I like the way you said today because yeah. it will change by tomorrow. Um, today it would be fool on the hill because, um, my father-in-law sent me over a few screenshots of the biographies reading and it's amazing the story about there's a story you can google it i won't spoil it for anyone but apparently paul reckons he met god up a hill um <laughs> which is fascinating and then that's where he stuck it's one of the theories where he came up with fool on the hill but that's currently my favorite how about you like you said depends on the day i'm going through a real uh uh things we said today phase oh very good um you know the beatles are 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 one of those bands that have so many songs that would have been classic number one hits if they were done by dave clark five or herman's hermits they're so good but they're not even in the top 50 of beatles songs you know oh um, that's a good point you know what i mean so it's actually pretty funny charlie and i and mike portnoy did a a beatles set a set list if they had i know i listened to it oh you did listen to it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's like I said. There's there's so much fantasy and fun you can have about the Beatles, and, and then hearing these stories just adds to that. So, um, like I said, man, I appreciate you doing this, and uh, I'll have to have you on again to talk more more ghosts. It was a lot of fun. Well, thanks, Chris. I'll just plug me podcast if that's all right of as well. So uh, if you want to hear more of my dull voice, then go and search. We need to talk about ghosts wherever you get your podcast. Perfect. Easy. Done. Easy done. Go subscribe now or the ghost of John Lennon will come and bet your dog. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks very much, Chris. That was wonderful. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Uh, Love you both. Thanks, dude. Thank you. Cheers, Charlie. Thank you very much. Take care, guys. Talk soon, bud. All right. Thanks to Charlie Benanti and Kevin Eustace for all the great paranormal Beatles stories and talk. And thanks to all of you who helped sell out Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea Part 2. We leave January 20th. And thanks to you. Sold out uh, three months ago. No more cabins left, but you can still sign up for the waiting list at chrisjerichocruise.com. If someone has to drop out, you'll be the first in line. You'll be the first in line to get the uh, the, the, the cabin. And remember, Ric Flair is going to be there. NWO, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, X-Pac, Jake the Snake Roberts, Booker T and Queen Charmel, MVP doing his one-man show, Gabriel Iglesias, Fluffy is our guest host, Craig Gass is going to be there. 
Vicky Guerrero is the cruise director, and Shaw Guerrero, uh, Vicky and Eddie's daughter, will be on the ship with her blessed troop, the Vaudettes. Chavo Guerrero Jr. is going to be there as well. Jack Slade, cruise mascot, keeper of the ice, Red Cup Jeff, official bartender. Ted Irvin's going to be there. Conrad Thompson, Eric Bischoff, Fozzie's going to be playing Farewell to Fear. Rubik's Cube, the 80s cover band that will be on board. The world's only female queen cover band, uh, Killer Queens, is going to be there. Kick Axe, Light the Torch with Howard Jones, Jared James Nichols is amazing, Dave Spivak Project, and the whole AEW crew, Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, Cody and Brandy, Hangman Page, Moxley, Luchasaurus, Jungle Boy, Nyla Rose, Penelope Ford, Sammy Guevara, Private Party, more to be announced, DDP hosting more live DDP uh, yoga workshops on the ship. And, of course, Beyond the Darkness, telling paranormal ghost stories by the campfire. We're sold out, but you can get on the waiting list at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. Listen, have a great Halloween. Coming up on Friday, we close out the week, the scary Halloween week, with Paranormal Elvis, Superstitious Minds. Uh, and still then, stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs. Happy Halloween. Big yeah, boy. And remember... Have a great Halloween uh, and check your children's uh, treats uh, for, for uh, extracurricular problems and issues. Uh, but remember, all that's just an urban legend anyways, which we found out on Talk is Jericho about a year ago. Happy Halloween.